All right, good morning. As you see, we've ordered a day of fresh powder. It will be some wonderful skiing for all you. And I don't want to hear about I don't ski powder, okay? This is good stuff. So, Fritz, if you'll come up and introduce our speaker. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, Gene, Bob Kulik says he found a typo in your Bible. It's spelled Bible wrong or something? I don't know. <laughs> um, Steve Parlow, golly, I, Steve Parlow and I have been just such good friends for so long. Um, I really love this guy. Um, you meet a lot of great guys up here that you, um, you know, you get close to, and we met up here, and we actually went to the same high school together at different times. Uh, he was a little bit ahead of me, not much, a little bit, not much. Um, he's from Richardson, Texas. Um, he started his ministry career with Young Life in Richardson, Texas. And he traveled all through out to West Texas and lots of different places. I wouldn't even know on. Actually got married to his high school sweetheart. And they actually lived in a tent their first year of marriage. <laughs> and, and, and she stayed with him. Um, and um, anyway, um, he, he now, uh, he, he stayed with uh, Young Life for 17 years. 20 years, and then he was with Focus for 17, uh, Focus on Family in Colorado Springs, and he's back with Young Life again, and as uh, Senior Development Director of Young Life Europe, he's got three kids, three grandkids, and 26 adopted Air Force cadets. Steve, come on up. You're going to enjoy this guy. He's, he's great. I feel like I'm at CNN here or something. The, um, the 26 adopted kids, we, uh, we have, uh, we sponsor, we're foster parents for kids at the Air Force Academy. And we've been doing that for quite a few years. Sometimes we get one at a time. Sometimes we get two, three, four. This year we have six. And uh, they come from all over the country. We don't pick them. Uh, they just get given to us. Um, all but one of them that we know of uh, has accepted Christ. Um, we love the opportunity. That's just a, they're just pre-Christians, that's all. And we have an opportunity to speak into their lives and to mentor to them. And my wife probably has the biggest effect on them. We have them over for, you know, they, the way they get off base is you can get off base on weekend if you go to your sponsor's house or go to church. So we go, we pick them up for church. And then we take them to, then, uh, then we take them home, and we, they all help as part of the whole deal of cooking. And most of them think, well, I'll just come in and sit down on the couch and turn on the football and wait until Candy gets it all done. That's my wife, you know. And and then uh, then we'll go back and resume the football game. And uh, she, whoa, 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 no, you know, this isn't. What do you think this is? You know, it's no hotel. So. Um, we never know who's going to be there when we get home. You know, there's a lock on the door that has a special key to it that they can pick up anytime. They all know the codes. And uh, sometimes we'll have, you know, six or seven or some on the couch, and you just kind of try to walk lightly as you go over people. Uh, but we love it. I mean, it's a great opportunity. Um, there were a lot of people that were mentors in my life, in my wife Candy's life, uh, that made a difference in a, for us in a uh, significant adult in your kids' lives that's not you can be one of the biggest enhancers of their future than anyone else. 
including you. And uh, when we learned that, and then two of our daughters went to school over in Europe and uh, for Bible school with the torchbearers, and when they, um, when they did that, we had to relinquish these, these kids of ours. You know, they're both girls. And I thought, wow, this is going to really be tough. Never thought that I was putting myself in the same place as these cadet parents. That they're always thanking us and, you know, thank you for taking care of our kids and you take medicine to them when they're sick and you, you know, have them over and, and, and teach them how to cook. And then Candy, when they graduate, she gives them a cookbook with everything they've ever learned how to cook. And uh, it comes in real handy. So these kids that have been gone for a while, you know, they, they're coming back going, they're telling us about, oh, yeah, we're in Officers Christian Fellowship now, and we, we love that big pot of um, spaghetti and how you make it, and we've been using that to feed all these OCF folks that come over. And now we're mentoring some young cadets that are, I mean, not cadets, but young second lieutenants that are coming in. So it's kind of fun to have started something and been a part of that and see how God uses it because we never know where it goes. We, that's not the reason why we're there. But uh, big challenges and big risk. You know, it's always that way, isn't it? Um, there are things in front of them we think, wow, I can't imagine trying to get all the knowledge you need, you know, or as you start to be a doctor too. You know, you try to, as you're going into the business world, there are these huge challenges out there. You think, I've got to get it all in and the four to six years, you know, in my graduate and postgraduate work. Just doesn't, doesn't always work that way, does it? You're still learning. We're still growing along in the process. Sometimes we face, you know, challenges become fears, right? I mean, there are things that we, challenge, that we get challenged with that you're going, holy mackerel, what in the, what was I thinking? Um, when Fritz was talking about um, living in a tent with my wife, actually it was my wife and our three kids. It was, we, uh, it was a little later. It wasn't our first year of marriage. It was after we'd been married for quite a while, and I was leaving Young Life at that point. I'd been in California running one of the Young Life camps called Woodleaf, and uh, I felt a very strong call that God had called me out of that particular ministry and into uh, focus on the family. And um, when we got to Colorado Springs, uh, there was no house to be had, and I had been working on that for quite a while, and um, there was no place to even put your, your rental truck stuff, you know. I mean, we negotiated with a guy once we got there. And um, so <laughs> we, we lived in the Garden of the Gods campground for uh, the first uh, 14 days uh, that we were in Colorado Springs. Not because we didn't plan well. We really did plan well. It's just there wasn't anything there. But I felt so confident that God was going to provide. And I know people think, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. Now I've really gone downhill, so I'm <laughs> confessing this up front. Some things that God asks you to do look stupid to men, and they really would look stupid to your parents. If my kids told me this, I would say, no, 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 no. <laughs> Isn't that funny? You don't even sometimes learn from the things that God has been teaching you when he has to, oh, yeah, that's right, you did the same thing. And we lived in, the, in a tent, a two-room tent in the Garden of the Gods campground, some of the best times in our whole family's life. Had one that was going into high school, one that was finishing junior high, and one that was in third grade. So there's five of us in our two-room tent next to all these big motor homes. <laughs> That'll drown out all the highway noise right there. <laughs> Somebody with a generator next to you. Mm, you know, it's great. And it was the year of the, the summer of the Olympics, and I'd gotten this TV as kind of a going-away present. It was a little TV about this size, you know, and it was still in the box, you know. 
So I told the kids, you know, when we get there, we're going to watch the Olympics. And they go, Dad, how are we going to watch the Olympics? We're in a tent. I said, I bought electricity. <laughs> what? No, I got an extension cord and I bought electricity from the campground, you know, so we can have it. Well, we'd always camp before, but you didn't get electricity. So this was really moving up. And we had the Olympics. So we'd take the TV out of the box, put it on top of the box, and we'd get on our air mattresses and, and with our sleeping bags all lined up. And we'd watch the Olympics till like 10 o'clock at night when it's time to turn off all electric stuff. And the kids, this is a huge impact on their lives. Just like those cadets, it's a huge impact when they have to do something that's way out of their comfort zone. And it was out of our comfort zone too. It looked crazy. It was a big risk. And yet, God used it in spite of that. Sometimes risks turn into phobias. <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of phobias. They say that you're really only born um, with two fears that you're born with. Um, one is the fear of falling. Uh, you know, even a baby would, if they feel that they're falling and that they have a fear, that's a built-in fear you're born with. And uh, the other one is of loud noises. And we've got three grandkids, and, uh, well, we sure experience that all the time. If the thunder hits or cracks in Colorado Springs, man, it just, it rattles the windows, and they are like crying and underneath stuff, and they just can't get away. But that fear of loud noises and the fear of falling are the two that we're supposedly, the only two that we're born with. We, we build up a lot of other fears, though, don't we, through life? I mean, we people have fear stand up in front of your friends and, and cohorts. Uh, fear of uh, what if? What if this deal doesn't work? What if I can't find that job in Colorado Springs I felt called to? What if, was, was it just indigestion? <laughs> or what? We all face them. What if that test result comes back and it says it's positive that you have lymphoma? It's cancer. There are people in this room that have faced a lot more than I did sleeping in a tent, believe me. Um, we've had other things that have happened in our life, but those are risks. And you develop fear sometimes that come from risks. It doesn't even have to go into full-blown phobia, you know, the fear of you know, where it takes over your life. And, but I'm telling you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't get back to sleep. It seems like the older you get, the more fear you can build up. Younger kids, high school kid, kids that I work with you know, in high school from young life, they have no fear. They also have no mental capacity that they could be hurt either. <laughs> Those two have to cross at some point, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Um, but I'm telling you, you know, there, fear can really disable you. It can, it can cause tremendous amount of uh, change in your life. And uh, I want to tell you, uh, read a story this morning and speak from um, a chapter. And if you've got your uh, Old Testament with you or your, uh, your I Testament, I'd like for you to, to look with me, if you would, for um, just a few minutes on 2 Samuel 23. Now, you're going to have to look way back in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel 23, verses 20 and 21. 2 Samuel now, this is a guy that you probably haven't heard of. I mean, we did not have this guy. I grew up in the church in Sunday school. Jim, I don't know if you had this, but I never had a flannel graph on this character ever. Uh, Benaiah. 
I mean, yet he was one of the most fierce uh, warriors that David ever had in his command with him, Benaiah. And you're going, Steve, I don't even know if you're pronouncing that right. It, it might be Benaniah. I, no, it was Benaiah. And uh, he came from a good lineage. He had a good legacy. His dad was a real hero too. And a real, uh, a guy who took risks and didn't lead a safe life. But we don't have a whole, we have a lot of times that he's mentioned, but it's always in a good context of strength and valor. And last night, Rick mentioned Joshua 1.9. I mean, I couldn't believe it. it was like reading off all the scriptures that I was, you know. <laughs> Joshua 1.9, what does it say? It says, be strong and have courage, right? And courageous. When my son turned 23 and he was really going out on a new venture uh, working with a Christian ministry, I took time and, and uh, did a, a special ceremony, and I know many of you have done that too, not just into manhood, but really commissioning him in, into manhood and also into ministry. And um, I brought his youth leader that had really spoken into his life, our pastor, his wife, you know, I mean, Marshall's wife, um, the uh, significant people that I knew had spoken, his best man in his wedding, brought them all together. We had a dinner one night, and... Uh, we had people read and speak into his life, a commissioning. And I gave him a long sword that uh, belonged to a, it was a replica, but uh, it belonged to a, a knight in England whose name was Marshall. My son's name is Marshall. And I told him the story about you're in a line, a lineage, a legacy of people that stand up for right things. My uh, distant relative is... Uh, my dad's John Marshall. That's his name. Um, my brother's John Marshall the sixth, and it goes all the way back to Chief Justice John Marshall, the second Chief Justice of the United States, and also the Secretary of State at the same time. A great man. He also, what you don't know about him is he ran the Sunday School League. He was a he was a busy guy, but he really got things done. And I tell you, Marshall, you know, all the way back to this this night named Marshall, and this is a replica of his sword. On the blade, it's inscribed, it's been sandblasted in, or glass blasted in. It says, Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. I tell that to all of our cadets, because there are going to be times when you're scared beyond your wits, and you don't even have time for it to become a phobia. You're scared to death. And God is going to use that, and use it in a mighty way. So, be strong, courageous. This guy we're going to read about this morning, Benaiah. <laughs> Let me just read you a little bit about it. Verse 20. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Gabzeel who performed great exploits. I love this. He struck down two of Moab's best men. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion, and he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaniah went up against him with a club. <laughs> and he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and he killed him with his own spear. <laughs> he goes on just a little further, says these were the exploits of him. And he was honored among many of David's mightiest men. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Wow. Now, the one I wanted to talk about was in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. 
There's a book by a pastor, a young pastor in Washington, D.C. It's called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, Mark Batterson. Have anybody read this before or looked into it? It's been out for a while, one or two of you. I really strongly recommend it. If you're facing changes, how to survive and thrive when opportunity roars. There are times when a roaring lion does not look like opportunity. It looks like fear and scare. And God says it's a great opportunity. Take a risk. You know, when Benaiah came upon this lion, like David did when he was guarding the sheep, you know, he protected them against the lions and the bears that would take out their sheep as a young man. And so how did he practice to get better at that? He had a slingshot and he had some stones. You think he was that perfect shot to start with? Probably not. It was through practice. And he chased a lot of them off. He had to deal with them. Benaiah came across this guy. He didn't intentionally go looking for lions. Guys, we don't go looking for problems. We got enough already that just come across our path. This lion came across his path. And they were put together by circumstance that day. Sometimes things are coming through your life. You may say, this is just circumstance that this happened. It might even be a bad report on a test. It might be a circumstance that puts you in a place where you've got to stand up for, with your character for making a right decision. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. That, that applies. How are we going to deal with it? We're put into that situation. God uses all those opportunities and things that we've done in the past to get you to where you are today. He never, ever misplaces or not uses to its fullest extent anything that's happened in your past, what we'd consider positively or negatively. God uses them all. Sometimes we may not understand the reason for it now on this side of the cross. It may be later, but quite often we get a chance to know that. And you'll have somebody that comes back into your life and says, wow, or like Fritz followed up on, Rick, you hear those stories of somebody that you talked to and planted a seed. We're not caused to, our call is not to grow it. We've, we are called to be responsible for what we have and, and not let fear get in the way of that and say, I'm fearful of what they might think about me. If I say this, they're going to go, oh gosh, did you see that guy? He, he was just in his store. He, was, he gave me this Bible and it's like, oh, you know, I, that's not the way it happens because God takes over from there. The Holy Spirit takes over and, and it's not you and your power. It's not, you just had to risk and step out in faith. God said, I'll honor that. I'll honor anyone who steps out in faith and risks it for me. That's what Benaiah did. He ended up being in front of this pit and it doesn't tell us a whole lot other than that part right there. I mean, one verse, it's not even a whole verse. It's a part of a verse but if you don't just read that and you go, I know I read the Bible a couple, two or three times through before I read that verse and went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. That just right in between those two things, you know, killing a couple of people, then killing an Egyptian with his own spear. And then, holy mackerel, what's this deal about falling in a pit with a lion on a snowy day? I mean, first of all, being in a lion, with a lion period, whether it's dry ground or on flat land, not a great, not a great co consequence there. I mean, you know, I mean, it has consequences. Not a great uh, chance to do something. It's <laughs> like run. What? I can't outrun a thirty-mile-an-hour, five-hundred-pound lion. Uh, what am I going to do? 
Um, even if I wasn't in a pit, if I am in a pit, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of here fast enough that he doesn't take off my legs and just start eating me from the legs up? <laughs> Have you ever had a problem like that in your life? You feel like you're just getting eaten up piece by piece? It hadn't gotten to your heart and your head yet, but it feels like it. It's coming. And you wake up in the middle of the night, and you're in a cold sweat, just like, oh, Lord, help me. What am I going to do? And God says, trust. Trust me. I'm going to use everything you've learned in the past for everything you need for today. You don't need it ahead of time. You need it today. It was a snowy day. I mean, it's like this. I mean, couldn't have, I didn't order this, by the, by the way. I just want you to know, because you don't like powder, but... This is a perfect example. Look at this. If you were having to be down in a six-foot pit with a lion today, even in your best shoes, your best boot, with the greatest grip, <laughs> and you were in great shape because you'd skied yesterday and you warmed up today, you know, before you got in your clothes, you're feeling pretty good, you know. I, I did some, some severe trading yesterday. Man, I'm on my phone from the lunch, I was, I was making money, or I was really helping people out. It could be any number of things you think happened in the past that makes you think you're a little better than yourself, and God has a way of using all those instances. Every one of us have had some real tragedies happen in our life, and some of us have had some that are, you know, skyrocketing. It changes everything. They're real game changers for you. Sometimes our biggest problems and challenges turn out to be the biggest opportunities for God's glory to be seen. You know, Walter's dealing with cancer right now, you know, and has been for the last few years. Wasn't something Walter wanted. He prayed for people. We've talked about this before. He prayed for people that had cancer and thought, hope that's not me, ever. And now I, I am one, you know, you are a select few. Um, how you get there, it's tough. And um, Walter walks in a circle of people that um, we all pray for Walter. I know I do. When you go home, I try not to ever forget that. I always put it on my calendar that it comes up. Walter Bradley. Oh, it's, today's the day to pray for Walter in particular. And uh, when I was talking with Jim Strauss, some of the guys in our, our cabin, we were talking about uh, um, when you wake up in the middle of the night, there's got to be a good reason for that. So what do you do with that? You start really praying for people. It seems like, oh, man, now I'm really awake, and I'm really reliving all their problems, and then I'm, I'm thinking, am I going to get the kind of cancer that Walter has? You know, God just woke me up. And I'm, you know, fear to, one thing to start, that's because that's what Satan wants. How does Satan, what is his warfare tools? It's fear and discouragement. That's what Satan does. But in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, I did not give you, and Maisel said this yesterday. He said, I did not give you a spirit of what? Fear and timidity. Huh. But Satan does. So when we feel that wrapping up inside and it starts cranking up and like, oh, oh, oh. Jim Stroud said, it's a great opportunity to, if somebody comes across your mind, pray for them that. And then try to go back to sleep. You know, put them in God's arms. Put them on God's pedestal. He can do so much more for them than you worrying about it. I had a friend, 
And uh, he reminded me of something that my grandmother used to say. He says, worrying, I'm not probably saying that correctly, that's worrying, W-O-R-R-I-N-G, worrying, is really just enjoying a problem before it happens. <laughs> my grandmother used to say that to me, and you know, I'd say, boy, I'm worried about, you know, if I, what if I can't find my way out of you know, this big department store that you, you're leaving me here to go do something else, and what if I can't find my way out? You know, at four years old, uh, I'm worried about that. She says, you're just worrying. About, worrying is just enjoying a problem before it happens. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't always help, Mom, you know, Grandma. <laughs> uh, but uh, okay, I'm sure it worked out great in Sunday school. Um, but this is real life. I'm four years old, and I'm afraid of being lost. And uh, God uses some of our greatest problems and greatest tragedies in our life to bring about good because he's going to be glorified through it. Now, I don't understand why certain things happen to certain people. Um, the old boss that I worked with, Jim Dobson, wrote a book um, about this very thing, you know, about what do we do when we try to deal with problems that are way out there and you go, wow, where's God? Where's God in the midst of that when you get that bad test result or you get that sure, sure hoping for you know, this house deal to go through or this business deal to go through or that my wife doesn't leave me or that I have a chance and an opportunity to say I'm sorry to my kids or to really ask for forgiveness from a business partner or whatever it might be in our life that we need to deal with. It will still fester, but God will always use those past problems to prepare us for future opportunities. I really believe that. This year, I turned, this past year, you know, I turned 60, and uh, I know some of you are not, you're not there, and some of you are long past that, but it's, it's just a mark. But why does that mark kind of sometimes to a guy go, whoa? And I was thinking, you know, I could stay where I was, a very wonderful job, at focus on the family, uh, enjoy it thoroughly, enjoy my teammates, love Jim Daly, we're great friends. Actually, he helped us in our, he and his wife, Jean, volunteered and helped us when we first got to Colorado Springs and helped us with our Young Life Club that my kids were in, he and Rick Beggs and his wife. And uh, these guys were just pour out time and help. You know, it's reaching high school kids with the faith of Jesus Christ. Uh, to those that don't have a chance to know him, it's not just another youth group, it's an outreach. And uh, this group came to me, uh, some of these guys that uh, said, we really could use your help and your expertise on what you've done. I said, I have made a lot of failures through life. I've, you know, I've messed up a lot. I mean, you know, planning, trying to get to Colorado Springs. You know, I lived in a tent, you know, when we first moved here. It wasn't the greatest start, but in a way it was. Every one of my kids used those, that instance. They wrote about it in school. Or when you go ask them, that was a life changer for them. It was a milestone mark too. And just being 60 doesn't mean that it has to be a bad milestone marker. And I was thinking, boy, you know, I could do five or six more years, eight years more here at Focus and slide into whatever, into volunteerism. And God just kept disturbing me and disturbing me, waking me up in the night. And it became kind of a fear. Oh my gosh, what if I did change? 60 is not the time to change jobs. And it goes, when did that ever become the issue? that has to make sense to you and your finite mind. Because I've, got, I've given you a spirit. 
not of fear, not of timidity. So the opposite of those need to be applied in your life, son. And so I begin to gulp and go, oh gosh, you know, so spend some time in Scripture, spend some time with other people, get some wisdom on that. But God kept coming around and kept saying, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? I've led you to, I've, everything I've given you to this point is to prepare you for what you're going to change at 60. I went, yeah, but at 60, I mean, really? I mean, this is a young person's game. I mean, it's, it's called young life. Uh, it's high school kids. Like, he didn't know that. He said, they're all mine. And you know what? Those kids in Europe that are post-Christian, you know, they've given up on Christ. Their parents gave up on Christ. Their grandparents gave up on Christ. So sometimes it's not even a fault of their own. But somebody's got to go. Somebody's got to go and share the gospel with them. How will they know if you do not go? So man, all these verses just started coming out. All the wrong ones if you were trying to stay safe. I mean, all the wrong ones if you were trying to stay safe. And uh, I had a few more that I was going to just roll up here on a screen, but I, I, I decided it's, that's not going to work. There are just too many, and you get you discouraged. And then I didn't want you to, that to lead you into fear. But take a risk. So I said, okay. And I remembered, you know, as the, the Israelites were going into the promised land, they didn't go through with fanfare, did they? Remember how they went into the promised land? They had to wander a while first, right? But the real point was when they came to the day that they were going to enter into the promised land and they were going to cross the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River wasn't like shallow at that point. It was pre it's pretty fast moving and it can be deep. And I don't care where you say it took place, it's crossing a river, not with a bridge, not with stones that you could step on and not be, get wet. Somebody's going to get wet. But God said, I promise that I'll get you there. I know if I was one of the... And so w what went first? Do you remember what went first? Who went first? The Ark of the Covenant. And who carries the Ark? It doesn't cross by itself, does it? Yeah, the priests. Can you imagine being... You know, here you are in full-time Christian ministry and you kind of feel like you're one of the priests and now it's your day to carry the Ark. Okay, where are we going? We're going to cross the river into the Promised Land. Hey, the Promised Land, finally! We're going to the Promised... What? Did you say cross the, the river? The one we've been camped by for the last two nights? Yep. Um, I think I was in the front yesterday. <laughs> I mean, that, that's where the fear just starts coming up in your life because of these circumstances, right? You go, um, I, I know I was first yesterday. So, uh, hey, Benny, Benny, come here. Yeah, I don't have the waterproof Bible or the covenant. <laughs> and it hadn't been invented yet, and it didn't float. And, and what did they have to do? It was, the water did not part until when? The first step into the water. Man. So I go, okay, quit reading that verse. Quit reading that story. But then what does God do? You just, you can't not think about it the rest of the day, the rest of the week. And then somebody at church, your pastor speaks on it. What does he use? You guessed it. He used that verse. It's like, oh my gosh. God, please, you know, he's saying, take the risk. It's not much of a risk when I'm behind it and the Holy Spirit's leading you. And yet we get bound up in our fears, don't we? We, we do. I mean, we don't want to. We know better. 
Every one of us in this room knows better. But there are times when we just cannot control it, and it just starts winding up, and we seem almost irrational. Well, in closing, some things that God does for us may seem irrational to people around us, but we just got to step out beyond that because God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity. He said, be strong and courageous. And there's about 26 other verses that speak to that very thing too. God is there for us. He goes before us. In closing, I wanted to read one little uh, paragraph. This book hit me at a time when it was really helpful. And, you know, and I've got, I mean, it's like when every verse in here, I mean, every paragraph has got underlining in it. Must have been a good book or speaking to you, one or the other. But this one thing I wanted to read in closing. It's an incredible thought. Long before you woke up this morning, the Holy Spirit was interceding for you. I want you to think about that for a minute. Every one of you. Before you woke up this morning and could start worrying about today, what to wear, what to put on, or what skis to get, God was interceding for you on your behalf. And long after you go to bed tonight, the Holy Spirit will be interceding for you then too. That ought to change the way we wake up and the way we fall asleep. That ought to give us the courage to chase lions. That's what, men, we're, we're kind of wired that way. It's in our genes to be chasers, to be uh, not just followers, but to be chasers. And I commend, you know, Benaiah, he chased that lion down into that pit. And he came out, and there's only one set of footprints on the way out. And that was his, not the lion's. He took care of that lion that day. Doesn't tell us exactly how all that happened, but I guarantee he probably came out with some blood on him. And he probably was wounded along the way, but not mortally. We're going to go through some fears and things that happen in our life, and it, but it won't kill us. But the great thing about it is he's got a lion skin on his wall to talk about and to share with his kids that legacy that we leave behind, that we bring forward. How are we going to face the fears that are in front of us? What are the risks that we're going to take? And are we going to be lion chasers? Are we going to chase lions? Because that's what God has called us to do, that kind of courage and strength that he's already given us. And he said, I've got, given you the Holy Spirit to help you do that. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we are we're men that want to follow you. We want to seek you in all that we do and say. We want to be strong advocates for the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But Father, our feet are made out of clay, and sometimes we get scared. And sometimes we don't even follow the right direction when you've laid it out for us. Sometimes our memory fails us, and we forget what you've already done for us and you've done for others. And Forgive us, Father. We know that you've installed in us the, uh, the chasing gene. You know, to, to reach out and, and go where uncharted waters are. Father, we pray that we will not forget that you've called us into this, this battle and that you will see us through and that you'll use everything that's been in our life 
as a model for those of others, the good and the bad. So thank you for that, Father. Give us a great day, a safe day of skiing, but not safe in the way that we look at how we face problems with you. We can rely on you that you've given us our strength and our courage to be lion chasers. Thank you. Amen. Thanks, guys.